Well, there are a number uh, of things that a church gets to celebrate together, uh, like the sharing in communion. Um, but uh, baptism, to me, is one of the more exciting things we get to share together. Uh, it's, it's been about 30 years now, but I can still vividly remember my very first baptism as a pastor. Um, that might be because it started snowing during the baptism, but <laughs> even apart from that, uh, I would have remembered it. it. It was a memorable day for me, as was my own baptism when I was 14 years old. Well, it was a much hotter day than, than today's going to be because it was in the middle of summer. Many of you knew I, I grew up you know, west of Rapid City out in, in the hills. And back in those days, Camp Helawasa used to rent uh, property from the Salvation Army camp right along Rapid Creek. And that's where we were having the baptism. And um, like today, there was a number of people that were going to be baptized that afternoon. Now, if you're, uh, if you're not familiar with Rapid Creek, the water there is cold, okay? Actually, if I, I think technically it falls into the category of stinking cold. I mean, it is really cold. Just, just to give you a, a bit of comparison, have you ever gone to like a public swimming pool, outdoor swimming pool, whatever one of those things, stuck your you know, big toe in the water and said, ooh, that's cold, okay? Well, a typical public pool hovers right around 80 to 84 degrees. So, you know, some 12 to 16 degrees below body temperature, which is why it feels cold. So my grandfather, he grew, uh, had a house uh, right along Rapid Creek, real near the Salvation Army property, and he used to test the water temperature of Rapid Creek all summer long because of his garden things and all the stuff he's doing like this. It runs at 51 degrees all summer long. Really cold, okay? And, and, and that's the water I was going to be baptized in, which really wasn't a problem for me. I, I was young. Uh, our family also lived along Rapid Creek, so I spent all summer playing in it. I was used to it. Not so much for the lady who went right before me. Uh, you knew it was a new experience for her. You could see as she began to walk out into the water, her grimacing, and she was doing that <laughs> type of breathing, you know, how it is when it's really cold. And, and, and she gets out to the pastor and standing by him, and he says his thing, and then he plunges her beneath the water. And when she came up, she was <gasps> gasping for breath, arms flailing everywhere, smacked the pastor in the face, sent his glasses flying, which we never did find. It was a memorable baptism. It was a... Now, I, I tell you that story because the sermon by request today uh, actually comes from two different people, but they asked the same question. Is baptism required? Um, we're going to answer that question and at least one other today. So turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Just one verse we're looking at there. Acts chapter 2. Verse uh, 38, um, Peter has just preached his very first sermon, uh, and, uh, and at the end of it, the people were wondering what they needed to do, and here's what he said. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we are so... 
grateful for the opportunity to gather together like this to worship you. Um, God, we thank you for your many gifts that you've given us, your good gifts, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, of forgiveness of sins, the gift of um, good music and, and people to lead us in that music to help us focus on, on what you have done for us, the gift of your word which leads and teaches and guides us, the gift of fellowship in a body of believers. God, today we just pray that you'll continue to speak to us, continue to help us to grow in our faith and our walk to draw closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the reality is I can answer that, that question of is baptism required very easily and very quickly? And the answer is no. And yes, depending on what you mean by required. Or more specifically, is it required for what? Okay, what, what, what are you asking it's required for? If you're asking, is baptism required in order to be saved, then the answer is an emphatic no. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that salvation is a free gift from God that is received by putting your faith in Jesus Christ without any requirements of physical rights or spiritual works on your part. And, and we see that truth just repeated multiple times throughout Scripture. When, when the Apostle Paul was writing what many consider to be his magnum opus in terms of theological and doctrinal thought, the book we know as Romans in our Bible, he frequently reminded people uh, of that particular truth. Romans 3.24 says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Or you can go up to chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how that word gift keeps coming up. Uh, you know, that's, that's important. We'll, we'll get back to that in a little bit. Go up to chapter 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God rose, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or verse 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what you need. And it's not just the book of Romans that, that uh, tells us that salvation is a, a free gift just for the asking. Perhaps the most well-known uh, verses to, to support this come from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, right? It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is, what? The gift of God not a result of works so that no one can boast. Uh, the idea of, of boasting is that idea of comparing yourself with another person, right? That's what boasting's all about, comparison. Oh, well, you know, I got into heaven because I, you know, I was baptized and I did this and I did that. And, you know, this whole idea that you could compare yourself and how you got to heaven is completely eliminated because God made salvation a free gift. Since it's a gift, everybody gets in the exact same way by reaching out and receiving it. I mean, you thought about that, right? 
That is all you can do with a gift. Receive it. A, a prize? Well, a prize you can earn. But a gift? You can only receive it. And we have that teaching, not, not, not only just that teaching in our Bible to convince us, but also some examples of it in Scripture of this working out in real life. I mean, you, you, you may remember the story of Paul and Silas, uh, their visit to the city of Philippi, and they uh, were beaten with rods for preaching the gospel. They were, were beaten with rods and, and then thrown into uh, jail and being deemed to be dangerous criminals for this. They were put in the high security port of the, of the jail, the intersection, and their feet locked up in stocks. And how did Paul and Silas respond to this gross, unfair miscarriage of justice? Well, it says that they were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Just a quick side note here. How do you respond when life's not fair? When you've been hurt, mistreated, Neglected, overlooked, unjustly accused. I mean, I recently had something that happened to me and where I felt was just somewhat unfair. And you know how I responded? I started whining and complaining and, and felt discouraged. You know, and I'm moping around. Let this go on for a couple of days. And then God had the audacity to remind me of this story. You know? Right, right in the middle of all my whining, he does that. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but, but God has, he has a tendency to do that. You know, it's, it's almost like he wants to keep working on me or something. I don't know what the deal is. But, but that's actually a different sermon. So we'll, we'll say like, back to Paul and Silas. They were singing praises of him uh, locked away in the prison when a powerful and a miraculous earthquake hit. It's not a normal earthquake, which could have smashed the whole building on them, but a miraculous one, which popped all the jail doors open and, and knocked the locks off their stocks, off their feet. So this is a miraculous thing. And, and the jailer saw what all happened. He was going to kill himself because he knew he, the penalty would be death for him allowing these uh, prisoners to escape. But just before he could do that, the apostle Paul called out and said, hey, hold on, don't, don't do that. We're all here and accounted for. And, and the jailer just absolutely could not believe that. And he must have known why Paul and, and Silas were in jail and what was going on because as soon as that was done, he went in and he asked the single most important question that has ever been asked in the history of mankind. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And notice... He asked about doing, right? What, what, what must I do? That's the common assumption among mankind, isn't it? That we have to do something that somehow we have to pay for or at least perform in some manner uh, to get saved. So here we are now with this question. The Apostle Paul is in a perfect 
position to lay out every single requirement for salvation. Here's the list of all the things that you have to do. You have to be baptized and and go through confirmation and and take first communion and do this and do that. Is that what they said? No, the next verse, you know the reply. They said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household, meaning same thing for them. They believe. That's the requirement. Belief in Jesus Christ. Maybe the, maybe the most uh, dramatic example of this free gift with no works at all is, of course, the, the thief on the cross next to Jesus. You remember when Jesus was being crucified, he wasn't alone. He was on a center cross, and on either side of him, uh, a thief. And, and it was more than thieves. Murderous uh, uh, re- uh, rebellion-leading thieves uh, were being hung on a cross and, and crucified as well. And as people were walking by, they were hurling their abuse at Jesus Christ, especially all the religious leaders, you know, that scene that was all going on. And one of the thieves, uh, being bitter about his own execution and crucifixion, began joining in the fun of abusing and, and throwing insults at Jesus. You know, oh, you're the Christ? Well, get us off the cross then and get us down and all this kind of stuff. But the other thief looked at him and, and shouted him down and said, hey, we're, we're just getting what we deserve for our d- deeds. And he somehow recognized that Jesus Christ was innocent and was more than just a mere man. And so he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, he, He knew this was not the end for Jesus. He didn't make any promises. (laughs) He couldn't say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He didn't promise to get baptized, to live a good life, to join the right church, to give money. He didn't do anything. And yet Jesus responded to him, Truly, I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Can you believe that? Jesus saved him just for asking. Well, I I hope you believe that because that's the same way that we're saved today. So is baptism required for salvation? The the oft-repeated response of Scripture is no, absolutely not. And and yet the truth is, there are some people in churches, organizations that that teach that it is. And, And most of them who do so base it on this one verse that we read here in Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, repent And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you read that verse, right, it seems pretty clear that baptism is required. Because it says right there in the verse, be baptized 
for the forgiveness of your sins, right? And doesn't that sound like if you want to be forgiven, which is equivalent to being saved, that you need to be baptized? Well, as we look to understand this verse, there's one overreaching principle that we need to keep in mind. And that principle is this. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And we're going to get into that more actually next week because I received a couple of requests about, you know, can you trust the Bible and well, all this kind of stuff. We'll get into that next week. But, but for today, just understand, we believe the Bible is the infallible, authoritative Word of God. And, and as such, I mean, logically, that means there won't be any contradictions in it. If it's from God, if it's His Word, then God's not going to say one thing here and, and then a totally opposite and different contradictory thing over here. Uh, God's not going to do that to Himself. So when, when we come across an apparent, an apparent contradiction we need to slow down and take a closer look because what that's telling us is, is that our human perception and, and understanding is out of sync, right? And, and to put it in other words, uh, another way, it, it's not God who's off. It, it's us who is off whenever we come across a, an apparent contradiction. And, and so um, we, we need to look uh, at that now, now as you're trying to understand that, here's another thing to think about logically. In any apparent contradiction, most likely the misunderstanding on our part comes from the singular, right? Not the preponderance. In other words, you have a whole bunch of verses. We looked at several of them that say salvation is a free gift, no works, and and then this one that seems to say that baptism is required. Well, chances are our misunderstanding is with the one, right? Not with the, with the whole bunch. And so when we come across that uh, uh, type of thing, um, we need to start by taking a closer look at, at the one to see if it can easily and naturally, and by naturally I mean you're not trying to force something or twist or turn things uh, to, to make it work, naturally be brought into to harmony with, with all the rest. And in this case, it, it really can. Um, and it all hinges on that one little preposition, the word for. You see it capitalized for you in the verse there. That, that word for, it, it's important to understand how that's used. As uh, it was in the Greek, it's the same in the English. Uh, that preposition has more than one usage, more than one way it can be understood in language. For instance, it, it can be something to indicate uh, something that's going to happen in the future, right? For instance, I can say, after church, I'm going to go to the store for some chocolate, okay? And everybody understands, okay, so that's future. For The chocolate comes after he goes to the store and gets it. He's going there for that purpose, and, and it's that future type of thing. For can also be understood in the sense of causation, right? One thing causes another. So I could say, I'm going to stop eating fried food for my health, right? Which means by eliminating fried food, I'm gaining healthier body type of thing. 
I'm, I'm not actually going to do that. That's just an example. Uh, okay. So uh, oftentimes, uh, future sense and that causation sense, they go hand in hand. It's, 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 it's both of them being referred to as you use the word for. And, and if you read uh, that verse in Acts with that type of meaning, right, uh, then that would mean the baptism comes first for that future sense and the causation of the forgiveness of your sins, which would then obviously mean that, yeah, baptism would be required for salvation. But that would mean then that all those other verses are somehow either wrong or, or we're misunderstanding all of them, and then we'd need to go to every single one of them and figure out, well, how can they be brought into harmony with this, this one? But there's actually another way that is very common for the word for to be used, and that is when it indicates a result of something that has already happened. It's looking back into the past, a previous reality. So, for instance, if a person said, I'm going to the White House for being elected president, right? Obviously, we understand you don't show up at the White House hoping that in the future you'll become president, right? It means that the votes have already been cast, they've been tallied, you won, and now you're going to the White House for being president, and, and we use the word for in that sense of looking back all the time. Very common, right? I'm going to jail for robbing a bank. Right? You don't go to jail in order to get the bank robbed some point in the future. It, it, that all took place in the past, and now you're going to jail for that. It's, it's a past reality. I'm going to Disneyland for winning the Super Bowl. Right? I'm being baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, meaning because my sins have been forgiven and I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ, I'm getting baptized. You read like that, it, it, it fits with perfect harmony with, with all the other teachings in the Bible about salvation. It, it is a free gift uh, apart from works, even religious works like baptism. So is baptism required? Well, no, it's not. But if you remember, I said at the very beginning of the sermon, it could also be yes, depending on what it's being required for. And if you are asking, is it required for obedience to Jesus Christ? Then the answer is yes. We don't have to be baptized in order to be saved, but since God commands us to be baptized as followers of Jesus Christ, it becomes a matter of obedience to us. I mean, it would be pretty hard for people to say, yes, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and have all my sins forgiven, but I don't really want to do what he says. Um, Lord means master means boss. It means he's the one in charge. And if we truly accept him as Lord and Savior, that means there has to be a willingness to obey. Any, before I'll baptize anybody, I, I, I like to interview them and talk to them a little bit and make sure um, uh, of a certain a few things. But one of the questions I always ask them is, why 
do you want to be baptized? And there's usually a number of different reasons, but one of the things I'm looking for in whatever their answer is, I'm wanting and hoping to hear that I want to be baptized because Jesus tells us to. Right? I'm looking for that idea of obedience. So baptism is a requirement for anyone who wants to be fully obedient to God, even though it is not a requirement for salvation. So I hope, uh, I hope that uh, clears up that question. From the title, you knew I was going to answer a couple more questions, or at least one more question here. Um, is it required? No and yes, <laughs> depending on whether you're asking if it's required for salvation or required for obedience. But I want to finish by looking at the question why. Not why should a person be baptized, because that's real simple right? Obedience to Jesus Christ. But why, why did God even ask us to be baptized? Why, why go through that strange religious ritual or rite or this type of thing? And, and I think there's three main reasons why he asked us. First, is that we need to recognize that, that the entire process of salvation is an inward, invisible event. You can't actually see anything take place when you get saved. And, and yes, I know for some people there is a, a dramatic or a definite conversion event when at a very uh, specific point in time they went from a state of unbelief or no belief to, uh, to faith and belief in, in Jesus Christ and they can point to and they can tell you the exact day, day and time that that, that that happened for them. But even so, it, it all happened internally, inward, in a spiritual transition, not a physical one. But it's also true that for many other people, they cannot point to a very specific conversion event. Uh, conversion for them was more uh, of a process over time. And, and this may especially be true for those who were raised in a Christian home. I mean, they, they've heard about and known about Jesus all of their life. And somewhere along the line, they realized, yeah, I, I'm committed to and, and following Jesus. And exactly where that happened, they wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you. And baptism gives us a tangible physical anchor to that invisible spiritual event. You may or may not know the exact moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you can always point to that instant when you were baptized in recognition of your faith. And that can become an important uh, truth, especially at those times when Satan tries to bring uh, discouragement and doubts, which he will in your life, I guarantee that. Baptism is that physical step you took in declaration of what God has done in your heart. And so it can act as that, as that anchor uh, of our faith that you can hold them to. No matter what doubts, no matter what whisperings of Satan that he may bring in your ear to, to try to discourage you or get you offset by your baptism, you can point to that time and say, hey, I have made my declaration of following Jesus Christ. Second, Baptism is a physical picture of what God has done for us spiritually. 
The Apostle Paul talked about this in the book of Romans when he said, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. See, we, we are connected to or identified with Jesus Christ by faith. So when he died, it was as if our old sinful self died with him. And when he, he was buried, we were buried. And when he was raised to new life, so we are raised to new life. And we get all of those spiritual realities by faith in Jesus Christ. And all of those spiritual things are physically pictured in the act of baptism, right? Going under the water uh, signifies death and, and burial. And then being raised up signifies that new life uh, in Christ and that you're going to walk now in that new life. Third reason why I believe God wants us to do it is, is, is because of what baptism demonstrates or, or means. Uh, it, was, it, it was a public showing of obedience, now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but baptisms were very common back in Jesus' days. This is not something that started with John the Baptist or, or Jesus. Uh, baptisms were, were very, very common, and, and lots of different people would do them for different things, but especially the rabbis would do them. Uh, everybody wanted their, their child to be trained by an influential or, or a famous rabbi. And so if he accepted your, your son as a, as a student or disciple, they would call it, then they would be baptized in the name of, either by that rabbi or in the name of that rabbi. And, and that uh, showed that they were devoted to that one particular uh, rabbi, that they would learn all of his teachings and, and that their allegiance was to him and no one else. Uh, you would study and learn from him and more than that, you would try to imitate and emulate his life. That's what baptism meant. And that's what you're saying when you are baptized today. Not, not in the name of a particular rabbi, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I belong to God. That I will study and follow His teachings. That I will be fully devoted to Him and do my best to imitate and emulate the life of Christ. It's a declaration of allegiance to God and to His ways. So baptism acts as an anchor for your faith, a, a physical illustration of what took place spiritually within you, and as a public display of your allegiance to Christ. That's why God wants us to be baptized. And that's why we celebrate it as a, as, as a church family. So I encourage you, 1230, down by that park by Brookside, and, and, and there's only about seven parking spots right by the park, so maybe people that uh, have a harder time walking can get those, but you can park all along the creek there too, just down from the park. And that'll be right by where we're baptism. Come and celebrate that today. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to learn again from your word. And, and baptism may seem like uh, an odd type of um, religious ritual, but it's far more than that. It is not a means of our salvation, but it is an expression of our salvation. So God, we're thankful for, for those that are going to be baptized today. We're thankful 
that you have given us the ability to have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ and the faith that we have in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.